We're looking at the passage we read, the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 is one of the best known of Jesus' miracles. It's also uh, the only miracle or or sign that's in all the Gospels. And uh, it shows us how how important an event it was. Uh, So much so that God put it in the minds of, of the first Christian witnesses, to, to all the writers of the Gospels to record it. It takes place in the springtime before the time of the Passover. We know this because we're told there was uh, plenty of grass around uh, in the place where they, they sat on the ground. And the only green period of the year in Palestine uh, was at that time. And some time had passed uh, since uh, Jesus had gone up to Jerusalem for the, the previous Pass- Passover, a year almost. Uh, and he spent nearly a year in Galilee, away from Jerusalem, uh, away from Judea, because of the opposition of, of the religious leaders who were there, the high priests and Pharisees uh, and the elders. And, and Matthew 14 tells us that Jesus has just been told that John the Baptist had been killed by King Herod. And we're reminded of Jesus' humanity, reminded of the fact that he must have felt this deeply. Uh, uh, this is a man who, who wept over Lazarus. And Jesus is seeking privacy at this point. Uh, his disciples have just returned from a, a, a preaching tour and are also in need of, of uh, rest. So Jesus takes them to the hills to the east of the Sea of Galilee, uh, what we now know today as, as the Golan Heights. Uh, and Jesus has gone aside with his disciples to rest and pray after this time and to be with God. Uh, and as he's sitting quietly with the disciples, he sees a large crowd of people coming uh, because they'd seen the miracles he'd done previously. And Matthew tells us in his gospel that Jesus was filled with compassion for them. He cared. He, we, we might have been uh, a bit unhappy, might have been a bit grumpy if, if when we'd gone aside uh, to have some peace and quiet and we were, uh, wanted to, to consider things and in uh, feeling for uh, someone who, who had died, a friend who died, we, we might think, well, I don't want to be bothered. But... We're told he had compassion, Mark says he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And as the day went on, uh, Jesus said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people? Verse 6 tells us he did this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus wants to test Philip here. And we're told that uh, Jesus does test his people. He regularly tests his people. We can't simply amble along with Jesus. Jesus is more concerned about our, our growth in him than our comfort. And so he puts Philip on the spot. Well, uh, what are we going to do? Where are we going to get the bread for, for these people? Philip confesses he doesn't know. It would cost the equivalent of eight months' wages to feed them. And they don't have that money. 
and anywhere, there's nowhere where they could buy that quantity of bread if they had the money. And it doesn't seem to have occurred to Philip that the Lord, who at the wedding in Cana had shown his ability to supply wine when it failed, would be just as able to provide bread. Andrew uh, comes along and he points out there's a boy there with five loaves and two fish. But he says, that's not much good because there's too many people. And he seems to be thinking in the same way as Philip. But God wants to give Philip an opportunity to, to show whether he was moved with sympathy for these people and whether he'd taken to heart the lessons which the miracles uh, as signs were intended to teach. And what they were intended to teach was this, that they pointed to the majesty, power, and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, his ability and also his willingness to supply every need. The second part of, uh, of that verse is an important statement. We're told Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Jesus always knows what he's going to do. He already has in mind what he'll do in our time and in our generation. And, and, and what he will do with the details of our personal uh, present and future. What's happened with with COVID and lockdowns may have caused the world in general uh, and us some anxiety and confusion. But God knows what he's doing. The Lord Jesus Christ knows what he's doing. He knew what he was going to do. Uh, And he's working out his perfect plan. As he was working out his plan uh, for uh, that, that time all those years ago, He's working out his plan today. Uh, and, and it's important. And Philip needed to trust him. Faith is important. Oh, we must trust him in our difficulties and in our struggles. We must ask him. Uh, Ezekiel was taken by God in, in Ezekiel 37. He was shown what appears to be an, an old battlefield. And there are a great number of bones spread about. And God asks him a remarkable question. Can these bones live? Look at them, Ezekiel. You've seen how old they are? How the sun has bleached and dried them? Can they live? And Ezekiel could have said, not a chance. It's impossible. There's no no hope for these bones. They can't live. But he doesn't. What does he say? You know, Lord. You know. You're the sovereign Lord. You're the creator of the universe. You're the almighty, all-knowing God. We're reminded in Hebrews that we're to come boldly before God to the throne of grace. We bring everything to him and we're told that we will find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Jesus makes the people sit. He makes the whole crowd, which with 5,000 men alone would probably have totaled at least that number. And the food was distributed to them. And after they'd been satisfied, there's more left over. Everyone had their fill. They had as much as they wanted. And there was more left over at the end than there was in the beginning. And Jesus' resources are without limit. He can meet all our needs and more. For those of us who are Christians, it's a reminder 
of his goodness and kindness to us. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. But it's a, it's a, it's a miracle, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely story, how, how Jesus is able to do this and how the people are satisfied. But what can we learn from it? And there, there are a couple of things I want us to, to think about here. The first thing is that miracles were never done on a whim. They weren't done just for the sake of it. There was always a purpose, always something to reveal about the Lord Jesus Christ. And miracles were always about the giver, not the recipients. He was gracious. He was loving. He was filled with compassion. But the miracles don't show us and don't point to the people who receive the miracle. They, they point to the one who gives the miracle, the Lord Jesus himself. And that's important. They're not just done for the sake of it, not just to make people feel good. There's a purpose. The second thing we see is Christ's almighty power. We see clear proof that a miraculous event took place in the fact that there were 12 baskets of pieces left over after everyone had eaten. What we see here is a creative power being exercised. Uh, food was called into existence that, that didn't exist before. In, in healing the sick and raising the dead, something was changed. It was amended or restored, uh, something that already existed. In feeding 5,000 men and women with five loaves, something must have been created which wasn't there before. J.C. Ryle says, It shows us the Lord Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. He is the one who has all power over dead hearts. Not only can he mend that which is broken, build up that which is ruined, heal that which is sick, strengthen that which is weak, he can do even greater things than these. He can call into being that which was not before and call it out of nothing. We must never despair of anyone being saved. So long as there is life, there is hope. Reason and sense may say that some poor sinner is too hardened or too old to be converted. Faith will reply, our master can create as well as renew. With a saviour who by his spirit can create a new heart, nothing is impossible. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Jesus brought things into life. We're told, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. All things were made by him. Without him, Nothing was made that was made. It is the same God, the same Christ. There's also a lesson here for, for those who, who minister the word. We see the apostles are given the bread from the Lord's hand. After he had blessed it, they distributed it to the multitude. It was not their hands that made it increase or multiply. It was the master's. It was his almighty power that provided this unfailing supply. It was their work to receive it and distribute it faithfully. And a minister, contrary to what some teach, is not a mediator between God and man. He has no power to put away sin or to impart grace. His sole responsibility is to receive the bread of life, which Christ provides and give to all those he comes into contact with. He can't make men value the bread or receive it. He can't make it uh, save a soul or, or give life. 
He can't make someone believe. That's not his work. His work is to be faithful. And Paul, writing to Timothy, a young minister says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's what the minister's responsibility is. That's what any preacher's responsibility is, to preach the word. Be ready at all times. And we leave the results to God. We seek his his blessing upon his word, but we preach the word. The other thing we see here is the sufficiency of the gospel. We see the Lord Jesus supplying the hunger of this huge multitude of people. The provision seemed at first totally inadequate. A few loaves, a few fish. It seems impossible. Uh, But there was enough and to spare. There was not one person who could complain that he hadn't had enough. As I've said, Mark tells us Jesus was full of compassion. They were sheep without a shepherd. He's concerned first and foremost, not that he feeds their body, but he feeds their soul. He's concerned about their spiritual state. When Jesus... uh, is preaching and teaching. He says, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. It's not physical life. It's spiritual life. It's eternal life. Teaches us that the gospel is sufficient for the needs of all men and women. It's enough to meet the needs of the whole world, even if it may seem weak and feeble and foolish to men. In Verse 35, which we're not, we're not looking at, but uh, further on, uh, the people had, had come. And uh, he says to them, uh, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's not the physical food that matters. It's the spiritual food. And then finally, the response of the people. When the people saw the sign that he'd done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. The miracle accomplished its purpose in that they recognized and acknowledged the power of Jesus. And they believed him to be, at that point, the promised Messiah. But their understanding was flawed were told that uh, they looked at, at him and they, he realised they were about to, to take him and make him a king by force. They acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah, but their understanding was so confused. They were looking for political and military salvation. No concept of a spiritual kingdom. They're going to make him king. They want an uprising against Rome to make Israel great again. One of the accusations the Jews made against him to Pilate was rebellion against Rome. He was setting himself up as a king. And we're told in John 18, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. He tells Pilate, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would have been fighting for me. 
His kingdom was a spiritual kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. A kingdom that would endure long after the kingdoms of this world were gone. But these Jews didn't recognize that. All they were concerned about is, well, the power, the the authority. Uh, Later in the chapter, he tells them that they weren't following him because he'd done miracles, but because they'd had something to eat. They'd been fed. And they were looking for satisfaction in the things of this life. Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's where our satisfaction will come from. That's the only place where we can be truly satisfied. We may have much in this life, but you know, this life is short. This life is short for for those of us who live the longest. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The question we have to ask is, what's our response to this great king? The one who lived and died to give eternal life to those who trust in him. It's the question for all of us here. Have you believed and trusted in him? Or are you still looking for satisfaction in that which doesn't last? Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Have you come to him? Have you trusted in him? Have you believed in him? So that you might have not just physical satisfaction, but eternal life in him. And the final thought on this passage is, in verse 15, Jesus left them. He withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He left them because he wanted to be alone with God the Father. He wanted to to, to be in his presence to seek his face. And if the Lord Jesus Christ needed to come before his Father, how much more do we as his people? Many things here. It's a well-known passage. So much we can learn from. But reminder, Jesus is the bread of life. It's not about the food he gave them. It's about the teaching he gave them, the bread of life, that real food. He was concerned. They were sheep without a shepherd. They needed to be taught. They needed to be saved, as do all those who are not in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you for uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the eternal word. And we pray, Lord God, that you, by your grace, would apply that word to our lives and hearts this morning. Amen.